making rants and sales of SA's entertainment industry. Business of Entertainment with Martin Myers on Cape Talk. On Cape Talk. Good evening and welcome to Cape Talk, the business of entertainment. It's just past 9 p.m. on a Thursday and it's our time to dive into the machine that makes the entertainment magic happen with me, your host, Martin Myers. I look forward to welcoming you into my world of the business of entertainment for the next 30 minutes. So stay tuned. We promise you won't be disappointed if you are invested in the same way we are. We bring in guests to have a fireside chat to talk about what they are doing in the entertainment business and inspire and influence us all. If you are new to the broadcast, we're here to talk about the business side of the entire entertainment space for the next 30 minutes. You can always WhatsApp us on 072-567-1567 or you can tweet us at, at Cape Talk or X as it's called. And I'm delighted to welcome back. We had such a deep conversation with a dear friend of mine, Ryan Frieda, who has spent oh, the better part of 17 years writing about cricket. Such sage points regarding the Indian national side that are out here at the country at the moment. Talking about the likes of Virat Kohli, Kahisa Rabada earning extraordinary money. And if you want to go back, go to the Cape Talk website, go to the podcast section, the business of entertainment, and you will see episode one of my discussion with Ryan last week. And I said to him, you need to come back. And you know what? He wasn't busy on a Thursday night, so he he granted us another 30 minutes to unpack stuff that I certainly don't know about. Ryan, I'm delighted to welcome you here back again. But I did say to you, we're going to prep it with one word. Yeah. After the Indian national team, they've now left. We have Graham Smith and this other thing happening, yeah. 2020 cricket. Yeah. One of the big sides take the whole hotel opposite the St. George's Cathedral. Yeah, Mumbai Indians, Cape Town. Yeah. Oh. yeah. What's going on? And welcome. Thank you for coming back. Absolutely. How did this thing happen? <laughs> that Indian cricket has names. What are they called? Mumbai, Cape Town Mum- or something? Mumbai Indians, Cape Town. So let me, let, me lay the, let me give you the lay of the land here. The backstory. Yeah. So you mentioned Graham Smith earlier yes. on. Um, obviously, Graham Smith having played for so long... Um, and made so many connections in cricket. We, we've got to go back a couple of years, Yomar, to, uh, to give you the context um, to how the SA20 started. So, in, you know, for, for many years prior to the pandemic, South African cricket were trying to get their own T20 league um, off the ground. And it was, it was an abject failure by every metric, right? They, we didn't have the financial might to attract the world best players like the IPL was doing. Um, the window that we could find for this competition was um, clashed with other big um, either bilateral tours um, or test series in the world. So none of the big players were coming out. We were having local players contest this SA20. And there's a, there's a finite appeal to to that. You know, when people are fed a diet of A.B. de Villiers, Virat Kohli playing in the same team in the IPL for, for the same IPL franchise, you don't want to see player X and player Y, local guys playing. I mean, what do you want to spend your money on that for? So the pandemic comes and South African cricket is effectively financially crippled, right? We've, we've got no money, not even the big franchises like... Western Province or or uh, the Titans up in Pretoria, they don't they they cannot sustain themselves. 
So South African cricket, South African cricket is facing a perilous time, and um, and so you know there's there's lots of detail I'm leaving out here for the sake of time, but Graham Smith has so many connections around the world, and Graham Smith was sent with a mandate and directive to effectively save South African cricket. How would he do that? And um, and part of the answer to that is that. What if the IPL franchises expanded um, to have a South African franchise that mirrored the one that they have in India? So, for example, Mumbai Indians are an IPL franchise that are based in Mumbai in India. So Mumbai Indians Cape Town is an expansion franchise. And that is mirrored throughout the, the other SA20 teams. So um, the Sunrisers have a team in, um, in the Eastern Cape. Um, and so when it, it goes, Delhi has a team in, um, in Pretoria. And so, so effectively what happened was, so Indian cricket came and went like, that's cool. We will bankroll this entire competition provided that you meet certain criteria. One of those criteria was that it didn't clash with the IPL window. And so South African cricket in this tough economic space effectively went where do we sign <laughs> where do we sign right it was it was a it was a question of do we keep our do we keep the integrity of the game intact in south africa and go bankrupt or do we do we effectively sign our lives away to india and um and cricket in south africa survives and um and they signed up and what happened was an incredibly entertaining for the context of this conversation yes. an incredibly entertaining and um, and star-studded event that that happened. It was an inaugural um, season last year, and so effectively, what has happened is Indian cricket now owns South African cricket to a large extent, because you know we we spoke about in the first in the first show we spoke about India, England, and Australia being the big three in cricket. Um, for a long time, there was pushback against. Um, them trying to dictate terms in cricket. So they would play, they would schedule tours and competitions for when they wanted to, and nobody else could say anything because they're just richer. It's just simple as that, right? Mm. And um, and so there was pushback from smaller nations, South Africa among them. What happens now? You know, South Af the, the SA20 is bankrolled by Indian franchises. All of our, like, like I would say, like our primary source of income um, at the different venues and the different associations around the country, um, one of the primary sources of income is the revenue that they generate from the SA20 now. So when India decided to plan a uh, IPL tournament when you were supposed to have a tour to Australia, for example, you can't say anything about it now. That's that's the reality of the situation. And I've got a great appreciation for the guys that were, the, the franchises that were involved because what a tough situation to be in. Right, but that's where we are, and so the SA Twenty competition is a is a spin off of the IPL. But I mean, it's wonderful for the players; they get to earn in dollars because I'm sure it's dollars, US dollars that yes. are coming here. They're not having to pay the players in rands. Yes. There's no risk for the franchise here, and the franchises from India get to get a bigger global footprint it's very clever taking the emotion out of all of it Absolutely. in terms of a business pure business 
And that's exactly what it is. There's, there's no emotion. It's just a transaction. And, um, and so, yeah, like, the, I mean... To, to interrupt you, mm. the players now must be going, this is Christmas 365 days a year. If you're good enough, not like a pop singer where you can blow smoke up the proverbial and say this hit is better than that hit, but if you've got the talent and are delivering, whether it be batting or bowling or whatever, you can make an absolute living fortune playing 2020 cricket around it's, the world. It's inconceivable how much money you can make. I, let me give you an example. A, um, there was a base price for some players um, at the IPL of $125,000. That's a base price. Mm. What? So if you, again, in the first show, we spoke about how much I suck at maths. So if you multiply that by 20... That's what a a that's what a player that goes for a base price that is unlikely to play any games in the tournament sells for, mm. right? And so even your really mediocre average players are making bank. Now the vast majority of guys aren't getting drafted at a base price, right? These these IPL franchises that are bidding on them in an auction that happens uh, every second year. So they're going against each other to get Virat Kohli, like we spoke about mm -hmm. in the first show, to get Quentin de Kock, to get Aiden Markram. They are franchises bidding against each other and pushing his price higher, higher, higher all the time. So, for example, in his first in his first IPL, um, his first IPL contract, Aiden Markram made six million rand. That's a, his very first IPL contract. He's six IPLs in now. And he's not earning six million rand anymore. I guarantee you that he's not going for six million rand because he's one of the preeminent batsmen in T20 cricket in the world. So, can you imagine a career where every we like we've got SA twenty year now? So every year you are making millions upon millions of rand for playing six weeks, three hours a night. So conceivably, conceivably a good player could play for South Africa at test cricket, do the Indian series that has just happened now, then go on to the South African T20 series. And then you mentioned earlier in our, pr our previous week, go for those six weeks to the IPL and then sit on your bum for the rest of the year. Right. So now, now we're speaking about the business of entertainment, right? So think about this. He's getting an IPL contract. If you draft it to the Mumbai Indians Cape Town, you get an, you're getting a contract with the Mumbai Indians Cape Town. In later that year, you're playing for Mumbai Indians. Your contract is secured there. In between that, the international players have, are contracted to play for South Africa. A A-grade contract, you're looking at in excess of 6 million rand a year to play test cricket, ODI cricket, and T20 cricket for um, for your country. So you've got those three primary sources of income. There are players that have retired from one-day international cricket and test cricket, like Quentin de Kock, for example, has retired from those formats. So you will, you'll get a you'll get a, 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 a tailored deal with the South African Cricket um, Union. And, um, and outside of that, he's playing in the Caribbean Cricket League, he's playing in the Pakistani Cricket League, he's playing in the Big Bash. He's playing in the um, in England's T20 competition. Then he's playing in for the two um, IPL franchises that he's contracted to, and that is an exorbitant amount of money. Like exorbitant, I wouldn't be surprised if the elite players in the world, the elite South African players in the world, are earning in excess of sixty million rand a year, um, just playing across the IPL circuits, or not the IPL circuits, the T20 circuits around the world. 
astounding figures. If you've just tuned in, we are speaking to Ryan Frieda on the business of entertainment, and my head is spinning with those figures that have just been mentioned in terms of uh, fees for players. I want to dial back in previewing for the show and when we ended last week, Saudi Arabia Mm -hmm. and the financial muscle that they have in terms of what they did with golf, what they're doing with Formula One. You see Armco all over on, on the tracks and that. Is it possible that they could come into golf and do a business of entertainment? You mean cricket? I mean cricket, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. A smash and grab of enormous proportions. It's not only possible, it's inevitable, Martin. Like it's inevitable. You'd be naive to to sit here and go, so they've they've they were disruptors in golf. They were disrupt they disruptors in football. Um, they disruptors in Formula One. And then go like, okay, that's the scope of the of the ambition. Is it good for sport? I mean, it's hard to make a moral argument for or against that because we're talking about we're talking in a business context here. This is business. Like you are sold effectively to the highest bidder. And um and so I want to divorce any moral judgment that I would no, we, cast we, on that. But we, we're talking return mm. on investment here. That's all they're looking at is numbers. Am I correct? Absolutely, and it's certainly good for sportsmen. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to tell you whether it's good for sport or it's bad for sport. I haven't thought about that to a, to an extent, um, but I know it's good for sportsmen. So cricket is undoubtedly on their radar, and um, and so what I foresee happening. Um, in the coming years is, you know, up until this point, there has been no individual or conglomerate um, or cricket association that has had the financial might to compete with India. There's just nobody in the world that can do that because they got a head start on everyone with the IPL and um, and they, they're just so far ahead now. Can I, can I just mm. interrupt you? Who invented the IPL? Was it one man? Was it the chairman of the BCCSI? Mm. And who is, is there one figurehead that's the most powerful person in cricket globally that shapes what us as consumers see? So to answer your first question, so it was the, it was the brainchild of the BCCI. But I think, I think what happened was they are so connected to powerful and extremely wealthy individuals in India. So every IPL franchise is privately owned. Mm-hmm. So either a company or a individual, a very wealthy individual owns the IPL franchise. And so they sold this idea to these to these parties that, that went like, okay, we're gonna have the best players in the world available to you for six weeks. And, um, and there'll be this draft system. And so you have every chance of bidding for Virat Kohli. So, Martin, if you're talking in a business sense, the value that you get from, from the brand value you get from having a player like Virat Kohli, Abu de Villiers, et cetera, et cetera, on your roster makes business sense when you consider the outlay for an IPL franchise. You make that money back twofold, just on, just on having the presence of that player um, and all of the marketing opportunities and all of the entertainment opportunities around the periphery of the game. Um, it makes business sense to do that. To answer your second question, um, 
you know, there, there have been individuals in the past that have that have driven India's dominance in cricket. Uh, Modi was one of those guys. But as it stands, the collective power of Indian cricket, Indian cricket, is far far transcends any individual there, because. Now you have the power of all of those IPL franchises or all of those owners. You have the momentum that the IPL has generated. You have England, uh, India standing in the game as this economic superpower. And it's really just snowballed from there. And they've, they've, they've just steamrolled their opposition um, to this point. And, and I think that's where we get to where Saudi Arabia becomes relevant now. Because up until this point, they haven't shown any real interest in cricket. There have been a couple of games in Sharjah, Dubai, etc. But they haven't really turned their attention to cricket yet. And that's coming. That really is coming. And when that happens, there's going to be a seismic shift in the cricket landscape. Um, because then India have a decision to make. They either, they either fold like the PGA did when Liv came in mm-hmm. and, um, and, and negotiate a deal like the PGA then, that um, that was um, counterproductive for them. They lost in every key metric in that deal. They lost, and um, and so India have a decision to make: do we do we invite this new player into the game, or do we compete against them? And if it's a competition, Saudi Arabia is going to win every day because they have bottomless pits of money, and um, and India don't. If you're just tuning in, it's the business of entertainment on a Thursday night with myself, Martin Myers, and our wonderful cricket journalist expert who doesn't hold back, um, Ryan Frieda, giving us absolute pearls of wisdom. But I want to dial back earlier. We were talking figures, maybe 60 million a South African player earns. How good is their personnel and management around them? Top bands in the world like the Rolling Stones, U2, Madonna, have managers that become almost as iconic as the bands. We think of the Beatles, Brian Epstein and that. Are there specific movers and shakers who are managing these guys? Because musicians sometimes don't have the sense to negotiate everything. Are there certain managers who manage these players extraordinarily well? We've got we've got some we've got some really um, some really good world class agents um, and sports agencies in South Africa, um, but nothing to the extent of what you you just ma- you just uh, mentioned now um, from a mu- music um, perspective. So, I think I think what that market is still in its infancy. Yeah, um, and. Um, and I'd imagine that given the sums of money that I play now versus what some of these guys would have been managing even 10 years ago is, um, is night and day. Their portfolios because, because are so broad as well. Just to interrupt, mm. I had, we had the great honor in one of our earlier shows this year, Michael Yormark, CEO of Rock Nation Sports International. Now they do the rugby players. They've got Cheslin Colby, Sia Kulisi, um, Ardi Sevilla, and then three massive English rugby players. It must be ripe for the picking for someone like that with that business clout and connections to start signing up some of these heavy hitters who are coming through. Yeah. So it's interesting that you mentioned Rock Nation because that is in, that's completely the disruptive model that, that the world needed. So that's an American, essentially an American-owned company. Jay-Z. Yeah. And um, the rapper, but, but they had a global vision, 
So even though even though rugby is not big in, a, in an American market, it didn't matter because they had a global vision. So it's irrelevant that Americans may not know who Sia Khaleesi is. Mm. It's irrelevant because the world, the broader world knows who Sia Khaleesi is. And, um, and what, an, what an incredible gap to spot for Rock Nation. They've got Temba Bavuma on their, on their books. We're speaking cricket now. Temba is the, the white ball captain um, of South Africa. And, um, and they've got Temba Bavuma on their books. The foresight to, to see that he would be a person of interest. We're talking, we're talking outside of his performances now, which are relatively inconsistent. But you can't deny that he's a person of interest. And the foresight for Rock Nation to spot that is just incredible for me. What their network must be like, their, so to speak, scouting network, for lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. There. They've got a guy on the ground here that completely understands South African sport, the landscape of South African sport, but beyond that, Martin, culture. He understands culture. And um, and you would have said to Jay-Z and the other big wigs at Rock Nation, Timba's our guy, Sia's our guy, Chislin Colby's our guy. And um, and those guys, I mean, Sia's going to France now in a multi-million rand deal. What does that do for Rock Nation? Cheslin played in France, in Japan. Um, he has the option to come back to a South African, like a massive South African market, like the Stormers, if he wants to, in the at later stage in his career. So they've got these global ambassadors that they've that they've poached essentially because the South African sports marketing world has been sleeping, and they've been sitting on gold for so long, sleeping. What, and Rock Nation jumped in. What does a young 17-year-old, 18-year-old do? How does he get in front of people who can perhaps change his trajectory? He's got enormous talent. He's scoring the runs. I know you've been involved in club cricket all your life. You enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Um, Must the parents be very careful not to live vicariously through their son? First point. And then is it just a case of putting your head down and delivering every week, whether it be schools cricket or club cricket, if you're good enough, you will float to the surface. So there's, there's two questions in that. Um, I, look, I'm not a parent, so, but I can appreciate the challenge that it is for parents of talented sportsmen and women. And um, I've got friends who have really talented kids um, who it's, it's an immense struggle and I don't think there's any right way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so my heart goes out to them because it's an incredibly hard road because at the back of your mind, if you're realistic, you know that your, your kid has a, like a less than a 1% chance of becoming a pro athlete, certainly a pro athlete at the elite levels of the sport that they want to play. And so, I mean, I don't know what the answer is there. The, the second part of your question is like, what do you do beyond talent, beyond performance? And, um, and I think this is, this is interesting because, um, again, we're speaking in the context of the business of entertainment here. The American market is so far ahead in, um, in this regard. So if you go onto Instagram now, you follow a, um, uh, an account like, for instance, like Slam High School is a basketball account that's entirely focused on high school basketballers. These guys are making, I'm talking about high school kids, multi-million rand, uh, multi-million dollar deals with different product, um, different brands that that they collaborate with. Um, 
because they are so visible in the broader scheme of things. Social media has been their platform for advertising not only their skills, but the soft skills that come around, that, that, come, that, that go beyond that, your marketability, all of these types of things. Why is and it not being taught here? I don't know is the short answer. And I, my instinct is, is that we live in a very conservative culture, generally speaking. South Africa is very different to the U.S. in that sense. So, um, so I mean, I don't, have to, I don't have to tell you that for, for a young kid coming up, um, a lot of the counsel to a kid like that would be just stay humble. Just don't stay out of the public eye. You know, just do your thing. Work hard, train hard. But the, the world has moved beyond that. Mm -hmm. the, the best practice in this field, in that field, is be out there. Show your skill. Showcase it to the world, you know, via um, social media. And, um, and so I think that's got a big part to play in why we're so far behind in this area. Because in the UK, footballers... Um, young footballers are now recording all of their matches and putting it on, putting highlights onto Instagram, social media, on TikTok. Um, in the US, baseball is basketball players, NFL players, um, in, sorry, um, high school American football players. They have a presence on social media. Our kids here, the, the, I think the, the extent of what they do is maybe film an, uh, a throwdown session, a net practice, um, or kicking practice if you're a rugby player, or shooting at goal if you're a footballer or certain skills and that type of thing. And and I think if we don't if we don't change our mindset, if there's not a cultural change, we're gonna to continue to be left behind in this area. Is that something that education departments are, are lacking in terms of teaching the the young sports people um, the business side of amplifying your message with whatever touch point you need to look at? I mean, this show goes out, I put it on LinkedIn, I put it on X, I put it on Facebook, I put it on my website. I share it with the people who come in and speak. They share it around. I mean, I had uh, Robert Plummer, the head of nonfiction for Penguin Random House, biggest book publishers in the world a couple of weeks ago. And they were retweeting the stuff all over the place. You never know where it's going to go. And is that what we are lacking? Because just be this, be good, don't shout. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's about access. How many people have access to see you exhibit the skill that you've got, right? And um and so all of these all of those different platforms that you're talking about is a is a pathway to to that access um and to the exposure that you need to grow a brand beyond that that transcends your talent. Um and while the talent and the performance will always be the main thing. There's a whole world that exists beyond that. And there's a whole world that South African, young South African sportsmen, and athletes and have the potential to exploit. Because again, that market is untapped here, essentially untapped. There are some guys that are doing it, but it's not a standard thing. Whereas in the US and UK, that's standard. It's been thrilling, and you've given more than a cyber hug over the last two weeks. The door is always open here. Please come in. Thank you, my friend. And tell us more stuff. It's been absolutely thrilling. Ryan Frieda and Martin Myers, Business of Entertainment, signing out. See you next Thursday. Thank you and good night. Making brands and sense of SA's entertainment industry. Business of Entertainment with Martin Myers on K Talk. On K Talk.